Hey kids, welcome back to Here for the Booze. Thanks for joining me, I'm Jax, and tonight we're going to discuss my two favorite Hitchcock movies, Rear Window and Dial in for Murder, both made in 1954. There's going to be some spoilers, so definitely plan on maybe watching them before we talk about it, if you really care or not, and then you can watch it. Doesn't matter to me. So grab your drink and let's begin. Um, I've already cracked into mine because I was having some technical difficulties recording this this morning, but it's okay. Because we're here and we got this. So I've already cracked my cider. It's the ectoplasm cider from Far From the Tree from my girl's trip to Salem last weekend. It's definitely not a cider for the faint of heart. It has, yeah, green bell peppers and a big kick of jalapenos. This is so good, but I can really only drink like one. All right, let's get started. I've already started. First, we're going to talk about Sir Alfred Hitchcock's background a little bit before uh, we get into these movies because these movies were made in 1954, so this is before Psycho, so we'll just talk about him a little bit up until he made these movies. He was born in England in 1899, and his father was really strict, uh, so strict that he sent a note with Alfred to the police station where he was locked up for a few minutes for behaving badly. That can't happen today, I feel like. Child services would be called so quickly, and wow. I But it shook him. It totally shook Alfred, and you can definitely, you know, he was traumatized, and you tell from his movies, you know what I mean? He felt that hopelessness, and, you know, he just felt so, like, I, I can't imagine as a kid how you would feel if that happened to you. Um, and it was really enough to torment his mind about wrongful imprisonment or wrongfully accused, which definitely shows in his work later. Um, he took a job after college designing title cards for silent films. And when that company closed, he stayed working in the film industry, mostly small independent films, moving from art director to production designer to editor, assistant director, and writer. He, had a, he actually had a number of unfinished films, including Mrs. Peabody in 1922, uh, due to lack of funding. And he had a lot of films that he didn't have any credit on. Uh, one of them would be Always Tell Your Wife in 1923. In 1925, uh, he made The Pleasure Garden. Finally, his name was credited, and The Mountain Eagle in 1926. The Lodger, a story of the London Fog in 1927, is regarded as his first work, actually. It's adapted uh, from the novel by Marie Bellick Lowndes because of growing up in London, and he grew up in the area where Jack the Ripper happened, which is... Around, you know, I mean, that was still fresh in everybody's mind in the early 1900s and things like that. He definitely, of course, was going to make a story based off of Jack the Ripper. You know, of course, he wanted to totally, really, there's no coincidence that this story happened and that he actually wanted to remake it. It's uh, about a man that's falsely accused of being Jack the Ripper and he can't find a way to prove his innocence. It's the first time that Hitchcock has his infamous cameo appearance. Uh, which is, like, the best part of his movies. I love that he and Stephen King definitely, like, make a point to put themselves right in plain sight, you know what I mean, of of everything. I just, I think it's perfect. <laughs> I guess I'm definitely having to check out this movie, too. I had actually never heard of it. Some of these movies, because they're from the 20s and things like that, it's really hard to hear about them now because things have been destroyed, nothing was really kept, or they weren't kept up to date with, being digitalized and things like that and companies changed names before 1950 so many times so many little nothing you know companies became absorbed by other companies and things like that and movies get lost in the shuffle you know 
how many movies do you remember as a kid that are never on TV? You know what I mean? Like Sidekicks with Jonathan Brandis and Chuck Norris. Like, why isn't that on TV? So good. <laughs> uh, back to Alfred Hitchcock. But he made more silent films, um, and his first speaking film was Blackmail in 1929. He was the first. It was the first British film with synchronized sound. And it's crazy that that was innovative for that time. Meanwhile, we have, like, CGI up the wazoo and for effects and very little physical special effects anymore. Hitchcock's first international release was The Man Who Knew Too Much in 1934. He establishes himself as the master of Sinister with this film. I saw this movie a wicked long time ago, like, definitely in my early 20s, maybe even a teenager. I believe it's on HBO Max, TCM, um, if you have that. But uh, he draws the audience in with the plot of these normal people thrown into this macabre idea of killing someone in power. Their daughter is kidnapped to ensure the go that they go through with the evil plan. But do they? We're not talking about that movie. <laughs> the other movies that he made after that were Sabotage in 1936, The Lady Vanishes in 1938. And then we get to his Hollywood years. In 1940, he made Rebecca. I saw this a long time ago, and I believe they're remaking it. I just remember it was a really good mystery. And I'm not seeing it for a reason, you know, more recently, because I'm excited for the remake to see what that's going to be like, too. Uh, Rebecca won an Academy Award for Best Picture, and it was the first nomination for Hitchcock for Best Director for that movie. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith was one of his last comedies without um, suspense for movies. And then we're going to jump to his first color film with James Stewart, um, and that's in 1948, and that's Rope. And it was made to look like he shot the movie in one continuous take, because I think it was a play, so they, they don't want to lose the audience with you know, shots outside of where everybody kind of is. So it's like one of those like real mysteries. Um, and then in 1951, he had Strangers on a Train. It's kind of one of those, I'll kill your wife if you kill mine, unsuspecting killers. It would be hard to know, you know, who did it because neither of them knew each other. And then we get to Dial in for Murder. It's 1954. Another James Stewart movie um, with Grace Kelly. It was originally shot in 3D, which you can tell by certain camera angles now and shots that are presented because people are reaching out or something's definitely poking out at you in certain shots. You just you just know that it's, it's definitely shot with a 3D camera on purpose <laughs> uh, or that shot is for that. It's an adaptation of a play by Frederick Knott and it's maintained by many scenes in the flat that Grace Kelly and her husband, Wendis, share. Hitchcock did not consider this to be a Hitchcock film, which is really weird because I love this movie. He considers like Rare Window, Psycho, The Lodger, those to be more of quote unquote his movies. This was filmed with Warner Brothers and I feel like maybe he filmed this as his last contractual movie before he moved to Paramount. He considered this like a filmed play. He kind of referred to this picture as an example of coasting and playing it safe. He probably, I feel like maybe he didn't love it because it wasn't a whodunit, but more of a will he get away with it. It's odd that this isn't his favorite too because, and he, and he definitely distanced himself because this is just so neatly done and it's so just the, the dialogue, you know what I mean? And the, the way he has the characters shown to you, you know what I mean? The villain is the, the husband, Wendis, is the slimy, rich tennis pro whose money's assumingly dried up and he's jealous of his wife's infidelity and that he's just discovered and it's an american crime writer that they somehow met i can't remember but it's you know it definitely explains in the movie how they met but 
And he's definitely, you know, Wendis is a man who wants the insurance money for his wife's death to live the way that he wants to with, without doing anything, clearly. Uh, and he comes up with a deliciously detailed plan to murder her with an old classmate and that he somehow lures in and the way he lures him in and the carefulness that the plan is, it's just... It's just really well done. There's no movies that are really like that anymore, in my opinion. It's just just very, very nicely done. A Perfect Murder with uh, Michael Douglas and Gwyneth Paltrow is based off of this movie. But that movie has a little bit of a different twist. You know, another thing about this movie that I like is the way the police, his wife, his wife, and the writer figure out how the murder almost happened. As you Because you see everything, but you get to see also how they figure it out. How it's planned, how the husband chose the killer, and the letter he stole from his wife's purse to start this whole thing going. It's funny how you see the detail and the time that he took to do it. It's really, it was really, really good. And then the keys, the keys. The pivotal moment in the movie when the husband remembers, after locking himself out of his flat, that the key that was found on the killer was actually the killer's own key. And he grew, and then he remembers that he le- he left the key under the the stairs, you know, across from his door, under the carpet, and that unraveled his plan because everybody that they set him up to do that. It was just so well done, just so well done. A te- detective work, conversation, acting—it's just, just so good, just so good. Honestly, if Grace Kelly's in a movie, I've probably seen it and I own it, or I don't know. Her outfits—they just always put her in these just just she just was royalty you know what I mean like maybe that's why she got married you know what I mean to a prince because she just knew from all the Hollywood outfits that she was in that this is what I need you know and she wears my absolute favorite dress in rear window black corset top off the shoulder with this white big chiffon layered tulle skirt with black embroidered flowers and oh my gosh it's just on the hem it's just gorgeous which leads me to my final topic which is when Hitchcock finished his contract with Warner Brothers and he went to Paramount, which was within the same year almost, um, that he filmed Dial in for Murder and then he filmed Rear Window with Paramount. This film is much, much more mature in its context, but not explicitly, not in any sexual way or graphic way or anything like that. The idea of the movie, an invalid press photographer stuck in his apartment, peeping into other windows and other people's lives, pretty much. Another, you know voyeuristic approach to his movies but does anybody remember when universal had this as a ride really really aging myself but i definitely remember going to universal and and looking through the telescope and looking in people's apartments because i had this like mini setup to this and it was it was really cool it was really cool yeah and why did they get rid of that oh yeah because no one wants to talk about old movies anymore whatever and the back to the future ride like what happened to that why did that go away why Anyway, fun fact about the movie, too, Rear Window, uh, James Stewart is noticeably, noticeably older than Grace Kelly. Um, He's 46 and she's 25. 25. Huge age difference. And one of the many misogynistic um, traits in Hitchcock's movie is about, you know, men getting the younger woman and the ideology that youthful women are normal and what you should always want. Again, with that voyeuristic approach with this movie, with him spying on his neighbors, it's a massive courtyard scene that he made um, to give the real feeling of living like that, like it was happening. So that's why in this movie, when you watch it, it's filmed in a way 
that you're just peeping into people's apartments. You're actually never, the, the camera is never in the apartment of, of his neighbors. His own it is, but nobody, it's really, it's just really great how they did it. We see at least nine different storylines of this neighbors. Miss Lonely Heart, the newlyweds, the songwriter, the torso, the dancer. And with her, he's quick to judge her, making it seem like she's single and playing the field. But at the end, you see her sweetheart, like, come back from the war. And you're like, oh, was he wrong about her? So I guess she wasn't this, like, you know, whatever he was assuming about her. Um, and then obviously, like, did he really kill his, did his neighbor really kill his wife? And of course he did. <laughs> and he goes back, and um, this goes back to the thoughts of nervousness and the wrongly accused. You know, James Stewart is assuming that this neighbor's wife is just not around anymore because the husband offed her. He just flat out, you know, there's other things that have happened in the movie. You know, the neighbor's dog ends up dying something is in the garden so there's all these little pieces that James Stewart is just throwing together and making this assumption you know what I mean so you wonder like oh my gosh is James Stewart wrong like is is he just making this crazy assumption and it's just all I don't know and it's just a really good role for James Stewart because he's you know always this awesome lovable character in his other movies you know Philadelphia Story It's a Wonderful Life you know, whereas right now, you know, you kind of you kind of don't like him because you see him interact with his girlfriend, Lisa, Grace Kelly, and he seems like disinterested in her, this gorgeous, you know, young woman that he's just kind of like staring out the window to and he's obsessed with, but he's not wanting her to be close and, you know, he keeps her at arm's length and only truly desiring what he can see behind the lens and not what's in front of him. So there's these subtle things in the background of the movie that you're getting this uneasy feeling, you know what I mean? Because you're like, well, what's going on with him and Lisa? And why, you know, is he so concerned with his neighbors? You know what I mean? But it's, you know, he's not working too. So I feel like he's, he's bored. The movie Jeffries, Stewart's character, puts Grace Kelly's pampered character in harm's way along with his nurse and creates this other story of character development for Grace Kelly from this fashion model designer to semi- you know, vigilante outdoors type. She she kind of gets to, you know, a, a point where she realizes that she does want to be with him and wants to sacrifice, like, maybe what she likes. Um, and just like Tarantino, the dialogue is just a, as important to this film, you know, between them. Uh, and they discuss Lisa not being able to handle life out of a suitcase and how much she wants or but how much she wants to actually do it. And she's saying, like, I could do it. You know, I could bring a small bag and... He just kind of makes fun of her and jokes that she can't do it and, you know, because she whines and dines him and spoils him and, you know, it's it's just an interesting approach because of women being looked at as so fragile and frail and, you know, we can't do anything like, you know, it's it's interesting because her character definitely grows, which is great. And he's and he's he's just stubborn in this movie. And like I said, going back to the other type of character that he plays in this that's not nice and really great and super friendly he's kind of a little standoffish and you you don't love him you know I never thought of the way he describes you know being a photographer but he, he sounds like it's like this extreme like going on safaris and being in the desert like all the time and that's where I'm kind of like well if you do it only three times a year I guess that's not that bad but I guess maybe he he's uh He's into that extreme photography. I don't know. It just that just seemed a little crazy. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> Back to 
him with the nurse and, and his girlfriend and he, you know, he uses them to do his dirty work because his leg is broken. He can't move. He can't go anywhere. So he's trying to get them to go along with this plan. And it's just, you know, it's a little, uh, I don't know. It's a little interesting to think of it. I guess I never thought of it before of how he does push them to do something that maybe they wouldn't want to do. And, you know, and he puts his nurse and lover in peril. That's just kind of, you know, and we, as much as him, are watching everything unfold, powerless to stop it, as he's watching his girlfriend go into his neighbor's apartment to try to find the wedding ring of the wife that is, you know, seemingly disappeared. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but I am giving away spoilers. But it's it's just such an interesting approach to solving a mystery not the breaking in I just mean the fact that he's looking through the window and watching these things happen and making assumptions and trying to put things together when he has a no business doing so and there's really no need for it you know there's there I mean I guess there was a need for it because she really was dead but it's just it's it's crazy um but then you know there's a part in the movie at the end where James Stewart is using his camera to to stun Thorwald the neighbor who suspectedly killed his wife when you know the guy finds out that James Stewart is responsible for all these things that are going wrong in his apartment you know Grace Kelly ends up getting caught in there and it's this whole like on your edge kind of like oh my gosh is she gonna get hurt is something gonna happen to grace kelly is you know are the neighbors gonna find out do does he do something to the neighbors is he i don't know there's just a lot of questions i feel like that go through my mind when watching this that it's just it just has such a nice little easy gentle story but it definitely kind of riles you up with the suspense you know because you don't see a lot you know, nowadays, I feel like with movies, there's, you know, if this movie was done nowadays, we would probably get snippets into the neighbor's life, you know, in his apartment and, you know, his relationship with his wife or other things that are going on. I feel like it would definitely not be as suspenseful because we would know more. And I think the reason why this this movie works so well is because we don't, you know what I mean? We don't know so much. And if you think about both of the movies, you know, going back to Dial in for Murder and this, there's so much more suspense in Rear Window. Absolutely 100%. And like I said about Dial in for Murder, there was, you know, the whole story is laid out. You see Wendis talking to the guy that he wants to kill his wife and they set up the scene. There's a nice little dialogue conversation piece, but... Both of these movies are were plays also, so it's or actually the sorry Rear Window was a book, but or a play, um, but you know it, it's just funny how they are so different, but they're both suspense, they're both mysteries, but one is portrayed as I'm gonna tell you everything, but we're gonna watch the detective sweat, <laughs> we're all gonna watch the detective piece it together, and the crime writer and the wife, but mostly the detective because he's the one that's trying to figure it out, but. You know, the wife gets wrongly accused of, um, I didn't even go through the whole scenario of, di- of dial-in for murder, but it doesn't even end up happening that she gets murdered. The plan goes awry and she ends up killing the guy that tries to kill her. So then she gets, you know, accused of murder and all this stuff because he was a burglar, quote unquote. But then the there's clues that were, you know messed up and moved by the husband because he was trying to make it seem like it was an intruder and not somebody that he had given a key to the place and 
you know, the way he had set up everything was just really good. And if I didn't explain that earlier, I apologize. I didn't, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I guess that was the main plot in the movie was she didn't end up dying and she killed the guy that came to kill her. So that was dialing for murder. But in Rear Window, you know, we, we don't know if the wife of the neighbor was killed because from the looks of, you know, what we can see, she is just laying in bed all day. I don't know if she's sick or I don't know, but it seems they have a, a tense relationship. I don't know. It just, you can tell because you can't hear too much, but you can see like body language of the two of them while James Stewart is watching them in rear window. And it's definitely a better view into how to figure things out and the things that happen that you don't know how they started or why. And it can be dangerous to put things together that aren't true. You know what I mean? And, and that's what's hard about life sometimes is that you want to assume like, oh my God, something bad happened. But, <laughs> um, and like I said, back to Hitchcock being wrongly accused and that's always a sense of mainstay in his movies and things like that. And James Stewart is thinking this and Lisa and his nurse are like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. Who and why would you accuse this man? That's, you know, you're bored clearly. So it's kind of, it's a really good, easy movie, I feel like. You know what I mean? Especially if you're trying to get into, this is more of the suspense. These aren't really horror movies. Um, I just wanted to talk more about Hitchcock on this episode and the reason why I like these. Because some people would rather watch these kinds of movies and say that they're horror and that's totally fine. Because it is, these are horrific events that take place in the movies. So... You know, whether they're just more suspenseful rather than gory, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I mean, these movies, unfortunately, um, are hard to watch on TV. Uh, they're rarely, rarely played on TV. So I would recommend um, trying to stream them or I don't know. If you can't find them, definitely, you know, message me on my Instagram um, and let me know. Because I'll, I'll try to help you guys out if you're really interested in watching some of these older movies. But, you know, I didn't even get back to Grace Kelly's character development that I want to talk about. But it's a, the end of the movie, um, the very, very end of the movie when, you know, the, the neighbor gets arrested and James Stewart's character actually falls out the window and breaks his other leg. Um, it was a great way to wrap it up uh, with him in a double leg cast and Lisa uh, laying. Well, I think he's sleeping in the wheelchair with two leg casts. And Lisa is muted, is in a muted, more comfortable outfit, reading about the outdoors. And then as she like, as you go over and she sees James Stewart sleeping, she like peeks over and then she takes out a copy of Bazaar. So I just thought that that was kind of like cute to be like, well, I can be like outdoorsy, but I'm also like very fashionable. <laughs> and then it's like a super old episode, excuse me, copy of Bazaar. So it's really cool to kind of see that too. But I really, really hope that you guys check these out. If you've never seen them and you listen to this first, I hope I didn't give away too much. Um, and if I did, I definitely still think you should watch it. And if you have seen them and it's just been a while, definitely go try to watch them. It's worth it, I swear. I hope that everybody um, has a great rest of their day. And I really, really, really appreciate everybody tuning in. I really do. This podcast is, like I said before, to get people into horror. So if there are movies that you've been curious about that you've never seen that you want me to talk about or give you some tips or... Um, I'm definitely going to be releasing my watch list of movies that I've watched so far. 
today is the 10th, so there's actually quite a few movies on there. So uh, I'll probably drop that today, and we'll see when this episode comes out, actually. I really do appreciate all of you, and I hope that everybody's having a great October so far. And tell me what you guys are watching, and let me know what you want to hear, and I'll be um, recording my next episode probably very soon. And I just want to leave you with this quote from Hitchcock. I am a typed director. If I made Cinderella, the audience would immediately be looking for a body in the coach. Good night, kids.